Let's try it now. There we go. Acts chapter 10. Two weeks ago, we looked at, well, what is God doing? And where is God working in the world? And we said, well, where God, what God is doing and where God is working is, is in His Word. God is at work powerfully in His Word. And we saw that demonstrated in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, which concludes after Peter has shared the gospel with Cornelius and his household. It says in Acts 10, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the Word. Now what we did not discuss is a second question related to what is God doing and where is God doing it? And that's sort of like, well, what am I about? What am I supposed to be doing? And, and the answer to that is, is that we were created, like all things, all things that have been created, we were created to receive the Word of God and to transmit the truth of God back into the world. So the first part of this pattern you see in verse 44 you see Cornelius and his household receiving the word, believing the word, and the Holy Spirit falls on them as they hear the word. But then you see something else happen to Cornelius and his household, and that's found in verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So what we see here is a pattern that you will find over and over again in creation, in the book of Acts, in all of Scripture. And that pattern is, is that all of creation exists to receive the Word of God and then to respond with a word about God. When we read Acts chapter 10, we tend to think Peter is a preacher, a, a transmitter, He's the one delivering the word, but we forget that the beginning of Acts chapter 10, Peter actually is a receiver of God's word before he is a transmitter. And when we think of Cornelius, we often think here is a man who has heard the word of God. That's his role in the story. But of course, when we see in verses 44 and 45, or 45 and 46, that after hearing the word, Cornelius immediately begins to speak the word he begins extolling God. So these are the two things that you exist to do. These are the two things you will do. Whether you like it or not, you will hear the Word of God because the Word of God is everywhere in many respects. The, the general revelation of God is everywhere. You'll hear truth about God and you will proclaim things about God. These two things are simply a part of your purpose in life. Everything that God created interacts with God in these two ways. We, the creation itself receives, it comes into being through the Word of God. It is sustained by the Word of God. But then it also, the Bible says, testifies and declares the glory of God. Creation comes into being through the Word of God, and then it presents, it transmits the Word of God. And this is true of the Christian I mean, it's just good to know, like, well, what's my job in life? Why do I exist? And what am I here for? And there are all sorts of different ways to talk about this. But the way we see repeated in Acts is you exist to receive the word. In fact, if you didn't receive the word, if without the word, you wouldn't exist at all. And then you exist to transmit that word, to reflect that word back out into the world. 
And so Peter and Cornelius are both examples of this. They're both in this chapter, receivers and transmitters. Peter appears mostly to be a transmitter. Uh, He appears mostly to be a deliverer of a message, but his story begins by him receiving a message. And Cornelius appears to be mostly a receiver of a message, but his story ends by being a deliverer of a message. So these are the two things that you and I exist to do. And that's really helpful because when life gets confusing, I could tell you the two questions you should ask absolutely guaranteed to give you clarity about the confusion you're experiencing. And, 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 and these two questions are, what is God saying to me? And what is God saying through me? That's it. What is God saying to me? And what is God saying through me? And if you can answer those questions at any given point in your life, you'll kind of know your purpose. And not only your purpose, just big, big purpose, but the purpose of this moment, the purpose of this circumstance. When life gets confusing, ask these two questions. What is God saying to me? And what does God mean to say through me? When life gets comfortable, we often lose our spiritual interest or sensitivity When life is painful, we're all about listening to God and figuring it out and struggling to understand. But sometimes when life gets comfortable, we get numb and we don't ask good questions. When life is comfortable, you should ask yourself on the couch, what is God saying to me and what is God saying through me? You know, back in early, uh, about a year ago, when a novel virus sweeps through the land and everything about it is novel and new, it's the perfect time to know how to ask the old questions. And you look at that situation and you ask, okay, (laughs) I don't know anything about what's happening right now, but I know to ask these two questions. What is God saying to me? And what is God saying through me? That is a incredibly useful tool to understanding your purpose and God's purpose for any given time. Because you exist to receive God's word and you exist to transmit truth about God back out into the world. So you look at Peter, for instance, in verse 15, he receives from God. I want to think about this receive, transmit pattern a little bit here. But but I want us to understand that, that receive always comes before transmit. You guys are that are in, that are in algebra, like, is that the, did, I, did I do that right? The, the order of operations, I was trying to remember, it's been a long time, but, but, but what I'm trying to communicate there with those parentheses is, is transmit or receive always comes before transmit. You, you, you don't have anything to say unless you've heard from the Lord. You don't have anything to share unless the Lord has shared with you. And so what you'll see in this passage is both people, both Peter and Cornelius, are hearers before their speakers, right? They're, they're hearing from the Lord. They're receiving the word of the Lord before they're sharing anything. Peter seems, you know, later on in chapter 10, Peter seems to be like he's just competent and ready, set up to, to share. But of course, we have to remember, and we haven't looked at this section of Acts 10 for a while, we have to remember that Peter had this whole wrestling match Uh, spiritually with the Lord on the rooftop in Joppa, in which he had to hear clearly what the Lord was saying to him. 
by the time he gets to Cornelius' house in verses 34 and 35, he says, <laughs> he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Well, that's great, Peter. That's awesome that you, that you understand that. We could go back a few verses, verse 15, and, and look in, when you did not understand that. Like when you learned that lesson where he says, the Lord says to Peter in verse 15, don't call common what I have made clean. So Peter is a receiver before he's a transmitter. He shares the gospel story with Cornelius. Let's look at that in verse 36. It says, as he's saying to Cornelius, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both of the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear to not all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. A key in that retelling of the gospel is the number of times in which Peter says, I received this. I was a witness of this. I heard Jesus preach. So the whole message that Peter's bringing to Cornelius is that the thing he's transmitting is something that he previously received. You know, sometimes we, we forget that we are created and called to be faithful transmitters of the things of God into the world, into the church, but that that all depends on our capacity first to hear from God and to listen to Him. And so today, many of you know I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Uh, Greg Durenberger, uh, a, a dear friend of mine, and a pastor in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, was supposed to be here today. Uh, he got sick last second, so I... I just happened to be driving through on my vacation, and uh, this worked out. But, but, but so, so, so this is going to be a relatively short but hopefully practical message on simply this question that I'm, that I'm faced with when I look at this text. And I say, Cornelius is a really good example of a good listener, of a good receiver of the word. And that, that's an art. You should not assume that, that you know how to do this should not assume that you know how to be a good Cornelius-like receiver of the Word of God. And so I just want to ask today, relatively simple question, how do you do that? Using Cornelius as an example, how, do you, how are you a good receiver of the Word? And I think Cornelius provides us with a number of helpful insights. Uh, the first thing I want to point out is that verse 44 reminds us that whatever we say about be, being a good receiver of the word is another way of talking about something that only God can do. 
Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So I'm going to start talking about practical things. And on one hand, there's going to be a lot of tensions in, in these points. And there's tension here. Because on the one hand, I'm saying, you know, like, in order for, for, for the word of God to bear fruit in your life, in order for you to receive it, God has to do a work that only God can do. Right? There's a miracle involved. But here's the funny thing about miracles. When you start examining miracles closely, you see that there are means of grace involved in those miracles. So on the one hand, you say, well, only God could have done this. But then you start looking at all the miracles and you realize, well, yeah, only God could have fed 5,000 people, but there was a little boy's lunch involved. You know, um, only Jesus could heal a man who was blind, but there was some spit and some mud involved in at least one instance. The cross itself is a means of a miracle. It's, 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 it's a means that God used to accomplish his redemptive purposes. So every miracle you could say on one hand, is just God. God just does it, right? And he does it in amazing ways. And so when Cornelius receives the word through the Holy Spirit, you could just say, man, that's just a miracle. But then you could also peel it back and say, there were means of grace at work here. There were things going on that I could recount, that I will recount in Cornelius' life that would be helpful for you to, uh, to understand and helpful for me to understand as I and hopefully you long to be a good listener, a good receiver of God's word. Now, I want to make fun of someone who's not here today, but, uh, but I, I'm, I don't even think they're watching on live stream, but I've had this, this series of humorous anecdotes that I've wanted to share for a long time. Uh, so we, as you know, we've had some families that have moved here from, we'll just call it the high desert, you know, Colorado, Wyoming, so on. All right, so I'm looking at, I'm looking at one of them right now. All right. Now, what's been so cute about these folks moving here is their shock at all the numbers of vegetation that exist in Kansas. So just about every day on social media, you'll get a new update of like, and, and this, this is how the updates always go. Can you believe there are more than four plants here? <laughs> like they're shocked by the, uh, by the verdancy, you know, <laughs> the the beauty of Kansas, they're shocked by like how many creatures there are and how many plants there are. And for a while it was just like, why are they always like posting a new plant and a new creature and so on? And I realized, oh, they lived in a desert where there like are only four plants. You know, you got sage, you got cactus, you, you know, you got four plants. And then you move here and there's like 44 plants or maybe 444 plants. And so I've noticed this like pattern on their social media where they're just constantly amazed. And it helps me to be newly appreciative of the verdancy of Kansas. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, there are a lot of plants and a lot of, they, they posted a picture of two different kinds of wood, two different colors of wood one day. Because in the desert, all the wood's one color, you know? <laughs> uh, like the, the, the range of creatures they discover and so on. Well, you know, uh, I remember when I first started reading God's word seriously and God gave me eyes to see it and and so on. And I remember that was kind of my experience. Right? It's like, whoa! There is a lot of truth here. There is a lot of life here. There's a lot of goodness here. There's a lot of wisdom here. It's like, I had like one kind of wisdom. But I got like 20 kinds. I, there's just an incredible 
depth and complexity. And this all looks a lot like this story that I'm telling on these folks. This all looks a lot like what we see in Psalm 1, where you know, we're told about this man who's, who delights in the Word of God. And he's like a tree planted, not in a desert, you know, but, but in a place where you actually get rainfall. So this idea of being, it's not a question of access for us, right? We, we have access to the Word of God. It, it's a question of being a receiver of the Word of God, of, of leaning into it, of, of listening to it, and so on. Like, this is really fundamentally transformative. Like, you, you, really, you really are in for a treat if you become a good receiver of the Word of God. And so... Yeah, it's a miracle that only God can do, just like only God can cause rain to fall. But there are means you see at work in Cornelius' life. And I want to just walk you through four of those means. The first one is this. Obey the truth you know. Obey the truth you know. If you want to receive more from the Lord then do the right thing with what you have. Obey the truth you know. 2 Peter 1. We won't read that passage, but I would encourage you to read the first chapter of 2 Peter as it pertains to the importance of the word. But here's a haunting reminder from 2 Peter 1. It is possible, according to Peter, to become ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of that you already possess. Say that again. It is possible for a believer to become ineffective and unfruitful with the knowledge that you already possess. So one key, one key to being a good receiver is to obey the truth that you already know to be true. Romans 1 tells us that if we don't obey the truth that we do have, we will become futile and darkened in our thinking. So, so not only can we become ineffective and unfruitful in our knowledge, but if we let that knowledge linger without acting on it, if we disobey the truth we do know, what we have, even what we have, can be taken away from us, and our capacity to sort out the truth of God can diminish, and we can become futile and darkened in our thinking. And so James 1 says it this way, therefore, this whole idea of obey the truth you know, James says it this way, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So one principle that we see from Cornelius is that in order to receive more, we should obey the truth we know. And you say, well, where do we see that with Cornelius? Well, every step of Cornelius' adventure into Christ is marked by his obedience to the first bit of revelation he received. The reason Peter's at his door is because Cornelius sent for Peter. He obeyed the truth he knew, but it goes even far before that. In verses 1 through 8, it says, in Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known as the Italian cohort, 
a devout man who feared God with all his household. He generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Cornelius' example as a good receiver of the word is clear. When he found out from the law that he should pray, he prayed. When he found out from the law that he should give alms to the poor, he gave alms to the poor. When he found out from the law that he should be devout, he was devout. Take the truth you do know and act on it and see God multiply that truth. truth. So that's point number one. And honestly, that's probably the simplest of the four. Uh, the second one is this. Invite the messenger into your kitchen. So there's a saying. I don't know if you've heard it. It's, it, it started in baseball. When a pitcher throws a fastball high and tight in the zone, you'll hear the commentator or someone say, man, that pitch really got up into his kitchen. And that means that pitch really made him uncomfortable. That pitch really made him uncomfortable. But what we see with Cornelius is a direct invitation is given uh, in two different sections for Peter to share what Peter has to share. All right, now let's apply this in two different ways. First of all, you should, God wants you to, also invite Peter into your kitchen. What do I mean by that? I mean, Peter is an apostle. He wrote some scripture. It's in this Bible. And you should spend time with Peter in your kitchen. You should read the word of God. (laughs) That's a clever way of saying, you should read what Peter has to say. And what his other apostle buddies have to say. And what the prophets have to say. This morning I was scanning through a Spurgeon sermon on a different passage. And Spurgeon said, I really hope as you advance in years, he said this to his his members, I really hope as you advance in years and walk with the Lord that you will come to feel like these people, like Peter, are your friends. I really hope that you'll grow in walking with them and listening to them and conversing with them over time that you will feel as if you are friends with David and friends with Peter and friends with Paul and so on and so forth. So one of the things I mean when I say invite the messenger into your kitchen is you have these wonderfully godly, insightful men who received the gospel, who are witnesses of the cross, witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Sit down with them every morning or every evening at your kitchen table and talk and listen to these great cloud of witnesses. Listen to what the scripture has to say. And I also mean this in a in a less direct and special way. And that is to simply say, invite Peter's companions into your kitchen, into your house. It says in verse 23, so he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Yes, every morning or every evening or both, take some time and sit down with Peter and Paul and Jesus and David and Moses at your kitchen table. Invite these people in to your home and have coffee with them. But I also mean there's a second level of being a good receiver, and that is simply being the kind of person that others believe and understand is open to hearing the truth. Like, like are, let me ask it this way. Are you the kind of person about whom your friends would say, that person has either uh, expressly or just by their behavior told me, I want you to tell me the truth about myself. I want you to come into my kitchen with the word of God. So I want you to ask that question. Uh, you personally, do you believe that you are the kind of person uh, that your friends would say, um, yeah, so-and-so, they have either intentionally invited me to be that in their life, or I could just tell based on our conversations, interactions, that they, they, they do think that way. They, they, they want to hear. Invite people in to your kitchen. If you want to be a receiver of God's word, of course, read God's word. But then also understand that it is God's great purpose that he has given your brothers and sisters the privilege, responsibility to bring the word of God to you as they watch you live your life. So I think the question we should all ask, and it's really, really a personal question, is Am I inviting in this respect? Or am I scary in this respect? And, and, uh, and so on and so forth. I was reading Colossians 3.16 this week. I think I, I ended two weeks ago in the benediction. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Here's the thing about that verse that's interesting. When you read that, you probably think the you is singular. Let the word of Christ dwell in Chris richly. But now look at the application where it talks about teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What's happening here is that Paul's actually saying, let the word of Christ dwell dwell in the church richly so that the admonishment the encouragement one to another occurs within the local church um, the idea here is better expressed perhaps in what paul says in romans fifteen fourteen, when he says i myself am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So the church is supposed to be a place where we get into each other's kitchens with the word of God and where we invite each other into uh, our kitchens with the word of God. Now let me give you something that's just maybe an insight that you might not have thought about before. There are enough people in our church that will actively come to me or someone else asking for insight, where that would be a sufficient workload. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, when you look at the ministry of the apostles, 
this idea of being invited in is very important. And what, so I want to do, what I want to be clear about is I want to put the responsibility on you to be the seeker of wisdom, to be the seeker of encouragement, to be the seeker of truth. It doesn't dismiss anybody else's responsibility to proactively think about how you are and seek you out and so on. But I can tell you there are plenty of people who are actively seeking insight, who are actively seeking guidance. And I'm one of them. I'm, I'm routinely calling other people asking, hey, what does this sound like to you? Hey, this is going on in my heart. How does this look? And so on and so forth. That's the standard we want to present or celebrate in Cornelius. Cornelius is doing the inviting here, and so should we. We should be actively seeking insight and care from our brothers and sisters. Okay, number three. They keep getting harder and harder. So 25, 26. When Peter entered Cornelius, uh, Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the point is, give proper esteem to those who share the word with you. Give proper esteem to those who share the word with you. And this is why it's complicated. Do not over-reverence those who share the word with you. That's the main point of this verse. Do not over-reverence those who share the word with you. Peter says, stand up, stop it, I'm just a man. The... The days are not over for us in which celebrated Christian leaders will be found out to be not all we thought they were, and so on. I can honestly say, Ange and I were talking about this on the way home uh, yesterday. I can honestly say, like, there's not a person that I, I read, that I listen to, that if tomorrow I found out that they had massive sin in their lives, so on. Friends, there's, there's really not a person, uh, John Piper comes to mind, or you know, Doug Wilson or something. My faith is not going to crash if I find out that these guys are not all they said they are. But I just want to make sure that like, maybe in this one area, you, you can follow my example. Like, this guy's, let's, let's not over-reverence those who share the word. There should be no, if there is, as, as you have heard about this faith leader or that faith leader fall and if that's uh challenged you don't take what i'm saying to be condemnation because i understand it and the, and the bible actually says like this matters and, and we should we should be uh, hold our leaders up to a higher standard because they can affect our faith so if if your faith has been shaken through some of this like i'm not condemning you but i am saying we don't want to over reverence our leaders because they are just men and we do have to be careful of that because culturally we've been conditioned to live in kind of a celebrity focus. And so, so it's, it's just easier for us in this particular moment to overly esteem people who seem to be successful or good, especially good at communicating the truth and so on. So we don't want to over-reverence. On the other hand, the Bible is really clear 
that Cornelius' sin here was also really just a hijacking of a correct idea or notion. See, Cornelius was a devout man, and he feared the Lord. And so when God spoke, he listened. And so when God sent a messenger, he had the impulse to be respectful and reverential toward the person who was sharing the word with him. Now, did it get hijacked by sin and confusion? Of course it did. He went too far. But this is why I'm trying to point out this, this tension here. And, and that's why the, the, the title of this point is Give Proper Esteem to Those Who Share the Word with You. Proper Esteem. Not over-reverential, not worship, but proper esteem, as the Word expressly, continually encourages us to do. To highly esteem those who bring the Word to us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 21, gives us some really good kind of guardrails for this discussion. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So one of the things I'd say really helpful to me here is there's a difference between respect and reverence. That might be helpful to you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So this is not, Paul is not merely calling us to some kind of formal respectfulness. He's calling us to an affection for those that share the word with us. He says, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Uh, Here's 19, listen to this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Verse 21 seems to be very key in understanding how we interact with pastors, with uh, celebrity pastors, and with each other. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Have a sense of esteem and appreciation for those who bring the word to you. Whether that's a pastor, or whether that's just a person in the church, especially if it's a person in the church, have a lot more esteem for them because it's not, it's like, they're maybe, they're maybe not used to doing it. It's maybe more scary. It's maybe more frightening and so on. So we want to hold these people in esteem. We want to have respect. But we still want to test everything. And then sort it out and hold fast to what is good. Number four. Recognize that the presence of God is in this. Look at verse 33 in, in Acts 10. So I sent for you at once, this is Cornelius speaking, and you have been kind enough to come. There's another esteem, another humility. Now, therefore, this is key. We are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We are all here in the presence of God. Lock into that phrase. We are all here in the presence of God. How could you be a good 
receiver of the word, especially when that word comes to you from another person, understand that where two or more are gathered, the Lord is there in their midst. Understand that when you are in a situation where someone is sharing the word with you or you're in a situation where you're sharing the word with someone else, the Lord is present. This is a high and holy and sacred moment. Take it seriously. Let the speaker speak, the word says, as if he is speaking the oracles of God. Take it seriously. Let the hearer hear with trembling and fear because God is present. These are holy moments. These are sacred moments. And I lock into that phrase. Cornelius says, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. The Lord really does send his saints to one another for the purpose of encouragement and admonishment and equipping. In fact, there are particular channels that where this is prescribed in Scripture. For instance, older women to younger women. So the Lord really does this sort of thing. He really does send some brothers and sisters to other brothers and sisters with a word. And when he does that, let's understand that the Lord is in that. The people won't always be faithful or skillful or timely transmitters, although we should strive for all of those things. We're going to talk about being good transmitters of God's word next week. But start with the assumption that Cornelius had. God's here in this moment. Someone's come to me. God's here in this moment. And I'm going to assume that God has something for me to hear from this person. I'll sort it out. I'll figure out kind of what I think about it. I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to lean into it because I want to be a good receiver of the word of God. So those are the four means that God uses in Cornelius' life. Cornelius is a guy who acts on what he knows. He obeys the truth that he knows to obey. So the Lord gives him more truth. He, he's a guy who is careful to, he's inviting, he's inviting the truth into his life. Uh, number three, he is esteeming the truth bringer. A little too much, right? But we'll give him some, we'll give him some grace. And finally, he's recognizing the presence of God in that moment at work in that encounter. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we praise your holy name for your word. Please, Lord, help us to be good receivers of your word. God, help us to live in a church culture, to to create and embrace a church culture that looks like Colossians 3.16, where the word of Christ dwells richly among us and it manifests itself in our conversations and in our singing and in our prayers. God, we praise your holy name for the gift of your word, for the gift of truth, for the gift of light, for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which enlivens it all and applies it to our hearts. May our congregation, may our lives be full of, of this glorious exchange we see between these two men. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.